welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. There it is. Welcome, everyone. Uh, it's Sunday. It's Super Bowl Sunday here in the United States, and that means American football, not what the rest of the world calls football, because that's we just call that soccer. Um, glad that's out of the way. My name is CJ Reynolds. Um, and I am, man, I'm thinking about a lot. I've been trying to think about stuff recently that I could bring to the beginning of the show to kind of like talk about like kind of what I've been feeling and thinking about. And one of the things we just got done talking about actually is like how, um, the world is sort of run by its emotions, how all of us, like how your how, you know, when we, how your class runs tomorrow is based on your emotional state. If you're in a good mood, you can teach a certain way. If you're not in a good mood, you will teach a completely different way uh, that you will probably beat yourself. If you're anything like me, you will beat yourself up about later and apologize to everyone and like, you know, get down on yourself. But so, you know, one of the things I really try to keep in mind is what actually elevates my my mood what puts me in a good and strong emotional state um because a lot of that stuff the more and more that i read about and this is probably a whole video and i don't know like maybe you're into this maybe you're not but i love this stuff and i love this idea that you know a lot of what's happening in our head it's just science right so like a lot of what your mood is your state is your your where you're at on a scale from 1 to 10 is really just science. So like, am I putting, am I eating the right stuff lately? The answer is no. Um, am I exercising lately? Sadly, the answer is no lately. Um, do I play more video games than I should? Yes. Did I eat Edmund's donut at one in the morning yesterday? I did. You ate one too. I feel like we maybe even cheers over. I'm not really sure. I think we, I think we touched donuts. No, we did. I think in my head we should have done that. I mean, <laughs> should just own the moment. Um, it is, but it's like to the extent that I'm possible. Look, the world's going to do what the world's going to do. But like, can we? Are there things we can put in place in order to put ourselves at the best uh, emotional state so that we can do all that we can? Um, in, in the classroom and look like in the classroom is about it's about kids right education is only ever about students but it's about us too right it's about feeling like you're fulfilled feeling like you're doing good work feeling like you know back to feelings it is feeling like you are contributing something to the world um, and you know the, I think one of the beautiful things about teaching is that we we have that job right uh, which is what maybe makes it so maddening sometimes too when you don't feel like you're succeeding but we get to do that work that like when I talk to folks that are, have just been sitting in a cubicle for 30 years, and they're like, I'm really thinking about getting into education. I go, oh, that's a curious decision right now uh, at, this day, in the, at this time. But when folks say like, yeah, I just don't feel like I can, like, there's no meaning to what I do. We get to live in meaning all the time. And I think it's important to just remember that. That's why sometimes this job is so difficult because it means so much. There's so much um, that we could succeed in. And and, you know, we also feel like, I don't know, it, it, I just, I just think that that's a good thing to remember. So with that being said, my name is CJ Reynolds. I run this YouTube channel here called Real Rap with Reynolds. I don't rap as I'm skilled I possess, but 
what we do here is have real, honest, open conversation about education. And it's not just me. When I say we, I sometimes draw my wife into it. But uh, if you've not been here before, it is all in the comments, which is why people have been in the comments before we even went live today. Uh, they just show up because they want to be together and they're trying to work together to be the teacher that they are called to be. And so that's what we were doing here today. So if you have a question, you can drop it in the chat. Um, and look, nothing's off the table. We'll literally talk about, I, I don't think we've ever gotten a question that we haven't like at no. least attempted to answer. Some you can't answer. So Sometimes I can't, but that's the beauty of having hundreds of people in the chat is that they, it's like, no, nothing's off the table. I don't know everything, but everybody else knows everything. So you just go, you know what? Laura Campion's in there. Go ask her that question. Yep. There's so many great teachers in our chat. <laughs> so, All right. Let's start off with a question. Let's kick Seth, it. Seth Shook was in there early. She's posting her question at 1251. Love it. Okay. She's asking, well, the truth is finally out. My students think I'm too nice. That is probably why they misbehave for me so much. What can I do to get them back in check without being mean? It doesn't. Oh, I forgot to put it up on the screen. Uh, that's the first part. And the second part is she says, it doesn't feel nice. And I've tried everything I can think of, even got the advice of vets with nothing new to add. I'm at a loss. You're too nice. Don't be afraid to be mean. I There's a difference between being mean and I think like having boundaries and go ahead. Lying. Keep I don't going. know. That's, feel, that's all I was going to say. You feel take this away. question. No, nope. Take it away. <laughs> Steph Shook respects what you say. That's, that's true. And I love Steph, but that's about all I got. Let's see what All right. Says. So I... I think that you're right. It's not being mean. It's doing what is needed in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we teach out of our own. Look, I'm, I'm not a therapist. I don't play one on the internet. But I think a lot of how we act is we're acting out of like maybe what we needed or what we think we should do. Or we're acting out of our own past experiences, right? Like whether they were hurtful or whether they were wonderful. That being said, um, I think that there's room to, to pivot, but here's, here's how you pivot. I think this is where you get the juice from. You get the juice from the idea that what we're doing is only for kids. And that when we're, I think sometimes when we're being too nice, too kind, too lenient, um, too mean, we're doing that with the idea that this, this is what kids need instead of really looking at the situation and seeing what do kids need. So for instance, um, I know that some of my, look, I don't ever like yelling. I hate it. It zaps my energy. It makes me feel like crap. It makes me feel like I can't control myself all the time. Um, but Steph, I had a day last week. Uh, I'll just put this right out there. I had a day. My co-teacher has been out for several days. Um, and the class just wouldn't calm down. Like I was trying to get started. I had like this thing we were doing. It's kind of fun. I was like, look, all we're doing today is this, this, this. It's like half a day. We're going to get into it. We're going to get this thing done first. And then we're going to do this fun thing afterwards for like if maybe, maybe five minutes, which if you know, in the teacher world is damn near 10,000 years. Um, so I kept trying to like, to focus us, to move kids, to remind kids of where to sit down. I was being very nice about it. I was, you know, I was doing my thing. Just I still had half the class that just wouldn't shut up. They just wouldn't open a book. They just wouldn't get started on what we were doing, even though I did my the whole performance. Like the setup was there, and I'm so excited to see you. Bye, there we go. It's gonna be awesome. And then finally, I just got so pissed that I like had to get 
firm, then I still had no one listen to me. And I literally gave up. I said, I said, I'm not doing this today. Here's what you're going to do. We're not going to do this thing that we were going to do. We're not going to do this quick activity that turns into a game that turns into a film clip. Um, I said, here's the questions in the books. Just do it yourself. Like just figure it out. And I'll say this one. I don't like that. I did that because my kids deserve more than that too. I don't like that. I did that because I felt like I, I, I lost control and that's, that's a whole nother issue for my therapist. Um, but it, it you, you laughing in there. So, um, but what I did see was that sometimes that firmness, not, I'm not saying yelling, I'm not saying screaming at kids. I'm not saying like, is this yeah. is the cup you gave me? Yeah, sorry. All right. Gotcha. Um, it's, ugly, it's the ugliest cup we have, but Seth, I'll, I'll take it. Um, so it, what I saw though, was that kids snapped into it and they got to work. They worked silently for the entire period and like really did the work, like really, really did the work. I had one kid fall asleep and he has his own host of issues, but like, it was a reminder to me that not every class needs to be taught the same exact way. Not every student needs to be dealt with the same exact way. And so sometimes when we're thinking about how we're going to handle things, it's handling things in such a way where we know what students need. And our job as the educator is to show up and give kids what they need and not just what we want to give them. Now, granted, um, my strong suit is consistency. It is love. It is silliness. It is using sense of humor. It is in being innovative in the classroom. My strong suit is not being like, I can't be, it's hard to be tough, but some kids need me to be tough. So I'll show up and be tough. Right. So it's like, if I, you know, I, I'll make another sports metaphor, even though I don't play sports and I haven't since I was in like fourth grade, but, um, if my jump shot's really strong and that's like my jam, it doesn't matter. I still have to have a three point shot. I still have to be able to dunk. I still have to be able to pass and play defense when necessary. So it's, I think step figuring out what is that going to look like for you? Um, and how are you going to do that? And to me, it's just being very clear on what I need right now. And then just saying, no, this is like, nope, you're going to stop talking. We're going to stop talking or we're going to, have to call home or we're gonna have to talk to someone else or um no i don't take late work it's for your betterment and then knowing why the why behind every single decision that you're making but being too nice what kids are really telling you is that i'm not getting from you what i need like the class is this way and i need it to be this way and look there's 30 35 kids in the classroom right like you can't you can't make something that's going to work for every single person we don't have this isn't tailor-made education. What we're doing is doing the best with what we've got, but how can we overall get closer to that mark? I think that's the move. It's never being perfect. It's getting closer to the best version of yourself uh, as close as you can, knowing that you'll never quite get there, but you keep moving towards it. That was a piece of advice for me at the end there, I think, that I needed to hear that. I think that's a good reminder for all of us. I think just your whole walk of life, it's like a thing that you have to constantly be reminding yourself yeah because we have to be kind to ourselves okay um our next question is coming from Catherine. she's asking what is your strategy for work-life balance as a new teacher i'm in my second year and i'm finding myself getting closer to burnout um Catherine, first this is my favorite this is like one of my favorite conversations um i love the conversation around work-life balance and what i'm learning in the last couple of years is that um work-life balance doesn't happen um, you don't 
figure it out. There's no like, it is literally designing work-life balance. It is literally like looking at your life and figuring out what you need. And then as best as you can, sticking to that. So um, yesterday morning, we had conferences last week. Um, sorry, I have some random hair in my mouth. That's more information than anyone needed, but we're trying <laughs> to be vulnerable here. Uh, so <laughs> I... I uh, I had conferences all last week um, after school, and there were a couple of parents I promised an email to on like Friday morning or Friday afternoon. I did not get that to them. So yesterday morning, I woke up and I sent those emails. Now, look, my policy is I do not do work on Saturdays. I don't do Real Rapid Reynolds. I don't do school. I don't do anything that is like, like Saturdays is what I consider a Sabbath. It is a day off. It is a day spent sometimes running errands with my wife. Sometimes um, eating Taco Bell in the parking lot of some random Stop food chain. Now you're everyone's going to know why we, we only <laughs> had one. without exercise and eating donuts and tacos. We only had one chalupa. That was it. <laughs> then we came home and ate Edmonds in the middle of the night. Um, so it's, it is uh, time with my wife. It is time with my kids. It is time with, you know, our new one-eyed cat. Like it is just doing things that fill me up. So with that being said, yo, yesterday I sent out those emails. I'm sitting at my desk. I got the lights on. I got music on. I'm, I'm like jamming and I'm like, this feels so good. I could probably do this all day. I literally thought yesterday, I'm like, I could get so much work done if I just did it on a Saturday. And that would make me feel even better going into next week. But then I had to remember like the agreement I had with myself is that this doesn't work. Long term, like, so what I'm going to do is get caught back in the rabbit hole of doing work on Saturdays, and I don't want to. Um, I just want to say, hold on, that's so funny that you had that thought this Saturday, because I thought, oh my gosh, we don't have anything on the schedule, and how I love Saturdays for that yeah. reason. We live and die by our calendars during the week, and so it's, we are constantly checking our schedule and all those sort of things yeah. that keep us busy and that we are responsible for, but saturday to me and it took a while to get here for yeah. me i just love there's literally nothing on that google calendar yeah and i just love it so much. no it feels so good and i but it the, the, it's a there, it's a rabbit trail right yeah. so i think for me Catherine, it's figuring out balance to me work-life balance to me is a balance of not how much am i working and how much am i taking off it is what is taking energy and what is giving me energy and it's having that conversation with yourself and figuring out um what is taking energy from you and like what's draining and what's yeah what's giving so for me it is one of those things we just had this conversation this morning is like i want my mornings to be so i have a morning routine but i want it to be as uh as automated as possible i don't want to make decisions in the morning i literally I get up at the same time every single day. Um, I and I almost never. It, uh, that's not true. I've been I've been I've been slacking lately, but I typically don't use my uh, snooze button. I just get up immediately. Um, I come downstairs. The coffee water. So we use a French press. Coffee water is already in the in the kettle on the stove. The coffee is already ground um, and is always in the French press. But I just put it in the French press. Then I like brush my teeth and do my hair. Then I pour my coffee. 
then I sit down and I meditate and I listen to like the same thing when I meditate every day. And then I pray uh, every day. That time shifts depending on how much time I feel like I need to meditate and pray. Sometimes I feel like I, I either hit a sweet spot and I go a little bit longer or um, I feel like I need to put a little bit more in. Um, then I read or listen to something that is going to fill me up. Then I usually have like 10 minute conversation with my wife. So here's, here's what I'm getting at is that like, it, it doesn't matter if you do things exactly the same as me. It is, I'm not making decisions in the morning. That is not taking energy from me. It is that morning routine is only giving me energy. On my drive to school, same thing. I drive the same exact way. Um, my clothes are set out the night before. When I walk into my classroom, it's already set up from the day before. So that's not taking energy from me. I don't have to walk in and see stuff. I'm literally like thinking about who I'm going to be around. What am I going to do? When am I doing work? When am I getting things done? It is all systemated in my life so that I'm basically doing the same thing every day. But in that, in that, you know, as Jocko Willink would say, discipline equals freedom. So in that structure, it is now I don't have to make decisions. I am alleviating, like I'm paring down the work that I'm actually doing so that I'm only doing things that are important. Um, that like at this time, I answer emails at this time, I plan my lessons at this time, um, I'm going to communicate with parents or go talk to a friend or something like that. It's all systemized. And what I'm trying to do is get the energy input to a place where it's so much stronger than the energy output um, that I want to be, I want to be operating on such a high level that I am, I'm always have more energy than than what I'm giving away. But I, I want to say that you, you even take that into like your school day for like what's so I, my concern is like in the question and I'm going to speculate here it's like in my second she's close to burnout is like is it just because the job is too much or are you doing too much like because we all know schools will give you more than you have capable if you're doing too much the dot to the job is too much you can work at the greatest school in the world if you do too much then you're going to get burnt right Right. So, so it's, it's only ever working on you. So even my school, that's a, a that's a dumpster fire right now, in my estimation. Um, it requires me to pour even more into myself. And right. some days that works and some days it doesn't. Um, but I but I don't judge myself on that. I, I, but I it's think like, have, what I'm saying is you have to look at all those things and yeah. figure out which one it is. So it's not just systematizing. Systematizing greatly helps organize your time, just like writing everything out on the calendar and yeah. like all of that. It shows that you have a lot more time available and, yes. and organizes your time. But if you're having burnout as a teacher from, you have to look at your environment. Is it your school? Is it not a good fit? Are you trying to do everything that the school is asking of you and you need to probably cut down because of your own mental health? Like yeah. there's a lot of variables to look at to see what's actually causing and getting the person closer to the burnout. So for that, so if Catherine is feeling very near to burnout, I would say one of my things is, um, yeah, she said the job is becoming too much is what she said. So I think the answer there for me, anyway, the answer is I would do a deep immersion into filling yourself up. Right. And then, so it's almost like how much can I cut from my life that is taking yeah. um, energy from me? What can I do to fill that up as much as possible? Like every single night, every single weekend, like what am I doing to fill that up? Let's do an immersion of that for however many time, much time you think you need, whether that's a week or two weeks or a whole month. Like what if, what if March was the month of Catherine? What if March was like, this is what you do. And like, um, this is like, it's, you are the priority. And so 
I think that that is part of it. But then in that, it is looking for, well, what does fill me up? So I figured out that like in the last year, um, we realized that food shopping on the weekends just sucks. It is a drain. It's never fun. There's too many people at the food store. Last time we even, and last time we didn't even do the order from, because we go to BJ's, uh, BJ's wholesale market. I'm a part of the club. Um, <laughs> they, the line was literally to the back of the warehouse. It solidified. Oh yeah. This is why we don't, this do is it. why it we order like ahead of time and they just bring it out to my car. This is why we do something like HelloFresh. I'm not affiliated with them. It's not paid sponsorship, but like, but if you know, if you're out there, let your boy know. Um, we do HelloFresh and we don't have to food shop for that and think about what meals we're going to have and things like that. Is it more money? Yes. But is it for, for us, the, it's the money. That, has, that it has given me yes. as the role and responsibility person in that area, like has outweighs the price like yeah. astronomically for me. Like, so things like that, it's balancing those sort of things. Like I don't go out, I don't put myself ever, but I've now committed to like making myself go connect with my friend once a week. I do it every single week. We put it on the calendar and I go every single week and it's just for two hours and it is the highlight of my week. Um, but Wait I put it on there. Wait a minute. It's, it's so the important. highlight of your week. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. You're the, you're the, you're my every day, all day. Date night's not the highlight oh, of your I'm week. Sorry. Well, so they've been coinciding. Sorry. It's been coinciding. I've been doing like double date nights for myself. <laughs> Did, sorry. Do you have date nights? How could this happen? Anyway, um, but like, I think it's all that kind of stuff. And I have a thousand examples of how I do that in my life, but I think that that's where I would. Yeah, I think it really makes a huge difference. You're important, Catherine. Yeah, treat yourself like it. All right, the next next question is from Sophia. She's asking, what types of activities do you do with your students so they can have some input? I've been doing Google Classroom questions, but I would appreciate some other ways as well. Thank you. Um, That's a great idea. And I love that you're thinking about this. I think sometimes, look, Sophia, I don't know that kids are used to being asked how they think class should go or how they learn or what they want to do. And like, and when you ask them that, it's just like, we should chill more. Like, that's what I get. A lot of kids are like, we should just chill. How about we play video games in class? Um, I find that it really works well if I just, I sit amongst students, not in the front of the class, I don't stand in front of them. I usually will like sit like on the side of the classroom in the middle of the classroom in one of the student desks. I used to do this and move them around a circle, but that's a whole extra step that I don't think is really that necessary. Um, and then it's having a conversation like, hey, look, I'm just curious, what has been great this year in general in school? And what has been really difficult or like hasn't worked well or has been just kind of like sucked? Um, and then sitting in that awkward silence and waiting for kids to share stuff. And what it is is a snowball. They'll be like, you know, whether it's lunch sucks or something else sucks or whatever's going on, you are, what you're doing is you're creating a space for kids to start sharing. And then that sharing turns into more and more and more and more things. And, you know, in my experience, it has been uh, the place that I get the most honest feedback because it's not. Sometimes what we do is we make things feel sort of clinical or cold or like it's an input form. And instead, what comes out when you're just talking, when you're just sharing stories, when you're just concerned about something, and then you can ask a follow-up question like, oh, really? You don't like that? Like, well, how come? What is it about that that bothers you? Like, what could we do about that? Like, what would you do if you were that teacher? What would you do if you had that class? What would you do if, um, like, if 
we could change school and it could be anything that you wanted and, and it would be exactly what you kind of needed or, or something that you were excited to go to, what would that look like? Um, and it's to me, it's just having those sort of seemingly informal conversations, but then you're like either actu- actively taking notes or you're just like in your head taking notes and then writing things down afterwards. Um, but that's, I find that that has been even more beneficial than anything else that I've done before. And, and look, I'll say this about that. I just had a conversation with the administrator the other day at my school where I said, you know, um, we don't, we need to create spaces and places for teachers to just hang out and be together that, um, and teach and students too. Cause I've had this whole pushback this year about me having fun in the classroom. And I said, sometimes five minutes of fun leads to like a week of really good work with your students. Because like, if we think about it, have I really connected with my fellow staff members over the last 11 years at this particular school, um, because we did really great icebreakers, but when we were doing professional development or because we did a get to know you form, that helps, right? I'm not saying there's no value in that, or is most of the value, most of the connection come from drinks or dinner on a Friday night, from Sundays having coffee together, from people getting together and watching football or doing something else together, I would argue that that those informal times bring the most value. And I think we could do the same sort of use that same idea going into our classrooms. The next question comes from Laura. Hi, Reynolds in the not too secret way. Hi. Hope you are well. If you are comfortable and if it's not too personal, can you speak on how you came to the decision to homeschool your own children? Oh, sure. Um, I'm going to say <laughs> your version of this story is very long. Oh, I, not I, trying to I've silence your voice. Did you swoosh me yes, away? I did. Shush. I did swoosh you away. Um, I like our. I would say. Today. I mean, the decision to homeschool was. It came from uh, just a long, arduous journey of of seeing that our children were falling, or especially our son in particular, was falling through the cracks of the educational system. Tried to go through the route to get help and services, which got very hairy. And all the way down into like a potential lawsuit, which I will just say, you don't have the money to sue a school district. They they set it up in New Jersey in a very precarious way to lead parents dry. Long story short, I mean, we just figured that if we needed to give Birdie what he needed or, or Marley or children, we'll just do it ourselves. And so we've created the path to be able to try and do that as much as possible. Yep. And now that is turning into um, hopefully private school for both of our kids if not just our daughter uh within the next year which is part of the reason that like look all this work that i do and all the stuff that i'm trying to grind and get out part of that um is so that i can pay for the life that my kids need um and not just the life that i want although i'm fine with that too like i think your wants are good but it is like trying to like getting to a place where i know that like my my abilities cap out at some point when it comes to my kid, like, like educating my kids. Um, And I don't have the time or money to put into myself to be able to help them. So it's like, well, why don't I just find someone else? It's like when I, but that's me, right? Like you could do it. Like if you stayed home and you could totally homeschool and create like this wonderful environment for our kids. Yeah. With it. Sure. It would come with challenges with parent child. Cause there's math involved. Yeah. No, but we could figure it out and do it you could because that's just your natural ability and talent like that's your skill it is not mine yeah and so for me to homeschool 
I do it out of necessity for my children. It is not something it's natural for me or something that I'm like, woohoo, and I love to do. There's also just, I wear a lot of other hats um, around here. And so private school is is definitely the goal because I don't want to be a teacher forever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's why we started that as, essentially. Like it just didn't fit. And most of it was, I followed my kids. There was nothing, I don't want to talk bad about the school system. I followed my kids and who they were and what they need and their emotional needs. I read Marley was really suffering and hated school and cried every day to go in kids shouldn't do that. And I didn't want my kids to have to suffer like that. And so that's ultimately where the decision came to whom, why we homeschooled is we followed our children and, and their emotional needs. Yeah. Good answer. Oh, thanks. And then I didn't look for the next question because I, oh, here it is. Good. It wasn't too far. Um, our next question comes from Rihanna. Uh, I am teaching, I am a teaching intern right now, step before student teaching. And my mentor teacher says all the right things about her about her teaching, but her actions in class are the opposite. Ooh, how do I broach this? I don't, so I think Rihanna, it's worth considering whether or not this is your assignment. Um, I think in life, the things we want to really can keep in mind are like, there's a million problems in the world, right? Like there are like, if you really think about like the world globally, I just don't know that all of them are my assignment. Um, so it is, I, I think that that's part of it, right? Is this your job to do? If you do think that it is, I think that learning how to have difficult conversations with people is the most difficult thing. I think it's one of the most difficult things to do in the world, but I also think that it's one of the most powerful things that any relationship that you have had that has stood the test of time has probably not just been because like you are just like two peas in a pod and you fit together so well, it, it is really because you've learned how difficult conversations because you've been through stuff together. The reason I have said this a million times, but it's worth repeating that I've been with my wife since 1995 is because we have learned to have really difficult conversations with one another. But that also comes with an understanding that um, what we're trying to do is speak the truth in love. Right. So I'm not trying to speak the truth to just tear you down, to hurt your feelings, to to, to show you who you are or, or like, you know, um, I'm going to, you know, I, I don't, I'm not trying to, to hurt anyone, although sometimes the truth hurts. It is speaking the truth with knowing that my intentions come from a place of love coming from a place that I want you to be honest with what you're doing and, and who you are and um, where you need to grow. Uh, and look. Sometimes that's a hard thing to do. You know what I mean? I know that certainly when I've had folks that are like technically over me, uh, you can see by the way I even say that, how I feel about that sort of thing, like this kind of hierarchy, but like folks that are like in charge um, that aren't doing a very good job. I used to have a real hard time with that because I felt like you were the leader and I would like, who am I to say anything? I'm not a, you know, an administrator. I'm not a director of whatever. I'm not in charge of this. I've never been a leader of damn near anything in my school. Um, but it is realizing that my voice is still valid, that what my thoughts are still important. And that if education is only about the kids, how am I going to learn to have difficult conversations so that the students are benefiting? And so that's where the love comes from is that it's like, I am like, look, I don't know if anyone else has said this to you, but I'm going to, 
And look, to be honest with you, when you think about that, right, when, when you get anxious and you worry about how that's going to work out and if this is going to, ah, what's going to happen? I think it's really important to consider what's the worst thing that could happen, right? What I tell students all the time, and I've had students even repeat this back to me when things are going on and they like, uh, I remember Romina came over one time, you're not even paying attention to me because I see you doing something. Uh, Romina came over one time and um, Romina wrote the foreword to my book. And so she was a student of mine years and years ago. And she goes, Reynolds, stop freaking out. What's the worst thing that could happen? You're not going to catch on fire. And I've said that to people. I've told her that probably a hundred times in her life and then have her turn and say it back to me. And what I would say to you, Rihanna, is that what's the worst that's going to happen? You're not going to catch on fire. And even if you get in trouble, even if you got fired, like it's like, did you want to work somewhere where you couldn't see the truth and love anyway? Like that doesn't sound like a very open and honest and vulnerable place. And look, I'm not trying to say like, I realize people have responsibilities. I, I realize that folks have bills and they're trying to get somewhere so they can pay for things and you have people under your care, whatever. I, I get all that. Um, but look, I mean, no relationship is going to last if you can't speak to it honestly and openly. Um, and then know that all, all things can be made well again, I, I think. So it's speak the truth and love always, even when your voice is trembling. Even as a teaching intern? Yeah. Okay. Because, uh, she, because said, she said example, um, she says she believes in discussion-based learning, but yells at all the students not to talk with each other while working. So or, so the other way that could, that could happen with that is not to just point out that something someone's doing is wrong. It's coming up with a better system. Right. So it's like, oh, discussion based word. Questions. Hey, oh. can we do discussion based? I have an idea for discussion based this week that I think will really allow students to share more of what they're thinking and feeling in class. Could we set up this sort of like Socratic seminar? Could we set up this sort of like listening activity or discussing activity? Could we gamify it in some way, shape or form? Like what could we do that is going to solve the problem? And then you're not just pointing out to the person that what they're doing is wrong. You're fixing the issue yourself. I think that that could work sometimes too. And then if they keep doing that, it's like you hold the mirror up and say, I'm trying to do this. But what I think, and and I think you, you, you mentioned it like this. I feel like I'm seeing a lot of this from you though, right? It's not saying like you're doing this, you're wrong and pointing a finger. Curiosity. It's like, it's going into it with curiosity because look, sometimes we don't know, right? A curiosity has saved my ass a lot of times because it is really... It's this, when going into things with curiosity, people are not so immediately on the on the defense. They'll listen to you. They'll have a conversation with you. They'll clarify things with you because I'm just curious as to how we think this is a discussion-based um, activity that we're doing here. But in discussions, I think it's, you know, but what I'm seeing is like we're yelling at a lot of people. We're raising our voices. We're shutting people down. And we're not... Like the kids are going to follow our example. We got to show what active listening looks like. We have to give someone a chance to share their whole thing before we cut them off. Like, I think there's value in having those conversations too. What you got, buddy? Our next question. Texting Laura over there. I am. Shush. Our next question comes from Chris. Hey, Reynolds, love the show. I'm leaving teaching after this year for various reasons. I'm having trouble staying motivated, but I want to finish the year strong for my students. Any tips? So. Julie. Damn, that's a it's hard. That's a hard question. Um, because I feel I feel some of that sometimes. Um, and I'm 
I think what it comes down to is when I, when I lose joy in a class or in even in what I'm doing, right. When I like, there's not like, I don't go into school every day and I feel like I'm, I'm not, although I shoot for 11 every single day, I'm not on 11 every single day. And when I get like that, what it comes to me is look, joy, joy is contagious, first of all. So if I can get myself into a place of feeling joyful about damn near anything, um, it spreads to other things in my life. So that's when I go to like five below is like one of my favorite places um, to buy weird stuff, right? That I bring into school. I will go to the dollar section at Target or the dollar store and like look for weird crap that I'm going to bring into school. So if you saw it recently, I've been putting on my Instagram account, like um, I stand in the hallway with signs a lot. And uh, the dollar store has this great poster board that has like gold glitter border on it. And I just write messages and it costs me a dollar, right? So I just like, I don't care how many of these I have to have, or if I only get to use one time. Um, I write messages that I then stand in the hallway and it looks like I'm on a protest. I have like this meter stick with this poster board at the top of it. And then I'm standing out there holding this thing up and, and like doing something with that. I'm using tiny hands to shake hands. I am doing celebrating someone's half birthday because their birthday falls in the summer and they probably never had a birthday party in school because that's what happens when you have a summer birthday. It is uh, doing something for other, for other teachers. What I'm trying to do is figure out some small thing that I can do that is going to bring joy to my day, knowing that that multiplies, right? That when I do that, it comes back to me and I feel better. I feel lighter. I feel like I'm having more fun. I think the other thing is we look at certain classes and we feel a certain type of way about them. Like maybe they're a real struggle. Maybe this class is really difficult. That what we're often doing is looking at the handful of students that make it difficult. What if you created a, uh, a lesson or you made it a point today, right? That I'm going to teach to this kid or these kids over here, right? The kids that are always quiet, the kids that are struggling, the kids that don't, that don't get caught up in all the madness. Um, it's what if I make something special for you today? So last week in the class that I gave up on, I ended up pulling the kids aside that like, I wasn't mad at because I kind of got mad at the whole class. And even though I was only speaking to the kids I was aggravated with, but I had to like, but no one else knows that. So I just went around and reminded them that they always do a good job. I always appreciate you. And I know I got frustrated today and I'm sorry that I did that. I wish, I wish I was better than that, but I am what I am. Um, but I want you to know that I always notice your good, the good work that you're doing. I always notice that you show up and that you're on time and that you're, you're putting your, whole self into this. I, I notice, I notice that you help other people. I notice things and I want you to know that. Um, and then I gave them all cereal. I had a giant box of uh, cinnamon toast crunch in the back of my room. And I sent someone down to the lunchroom to get me some milks and um, they all ate cereal. And that's, that's how I do it. Sometimes it's like, I'm, I'm what can I do to make this uh, uh, a wonderful day for these students? And, and I think sometimes it's shifting our focus because sometimes we focus on you know, I've talked about this before, and I talk about this in my book that there's, so I won't go into it really in depth here, but um, we, if there's three types of kids, it's the kid that loves to learn and loves to come to school that everyone loves. It's the kid that's always a problem and is uh, driving you nuts and makes your hair turn from black to gray every year. Um, and then the middle kid, kid number two, is the kid that doesn't get paid attention to because they sit up, they sit right, they pay attention, and then they fail at the end of the year and you had no idea. They're the kid that, like, um, is hurting themselves and nobody knows about it. They're the kid that 
uh, is low-key really struggling with anxiety or depression or feeling a sense of that they don't matter. So it's like, what if you just went into school tomorrow, Chris, and you made those kids know that they matter? You made kids that felt invisible feel visible, and then that becomes contagious, and then that is something I think you can move forward through the rest of your year with. What you got there, bud? All right, our next question. Wait, did we just have? That was Chris. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Our next question comes from Barry or Mel. Barry Mel. I don't know which one's first. Uh, how do you defend independent reading to those who just don't understand how it works? Um, so I'm not sure if you're talking about teachers or students here, but I would say this. To me, the way I break down uh, independent reading is that, look, students don't like to read. And many studies recently show that students have a two-second attention span, right? So they, every two seconds, it's like, what? What's going on? Um, and if we look at a lot of the, look, I'm not going to be the old guy that like sits here and like blames social media, but like we look at all the options kids have, we look at how much faster technology has gotten. We look at things like Vine or TikTok or, um, or, or stories on, on social platforms. It is like flipping, 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 sliding, you know, scrolling, whatever, like you're, you're, you don't have to put a whole lot of time and energy into a thing. So what do we do with that? One, um, getting kids to read is, is the most important thing we could ever do for young people that they could literally throw their lives away. Um, and as long as you can read, you can, you can find some success in, in something that, that you're doing in your life. So it is creating spaces for kids to sit down with the, with the only intention is that we are reading. It is also reading together. How do we get kids to read more? We create a safe space that is quiet. I play music, even though I'm not allowed to in my room anymore. Um, I play music on the back end. So like last week, uh, we started playing records and I was just playing Sam Cooke records in my classroom. Most of the time I play stuff without, I don't, I, I don't ever play anything that anyone knows. And I try not to play stuff with music as much as, or with lyrics as much as possible because it's distracting. But it is just creating the space. I then will order kids any book that they want. Literally, I've never been asked for a book that I've been like, unless it's like a really, really low level book or it's a really expensive manga where they're like, oh, it's only fifty dollars. So I was like, like, bro, what kind of budget do you think we're living on? Like, you know, we don't live on that dream. Or we don't. We don't live on. We're we're dreaming on a budget here. So it is. I think helping students also to realize that like reading isn't just for assignments. Reading is like, it's literally like, a, like having a superpower. You're getting to learn from the mistakes and successes of other people, whether that's fictional or non-fictional. You're getting to learn about the world. You're increasing your base knowledge. One of the things that we find with our students that they helps them or like cause them to struggle so much in uh, standardized testing is that they don't have the base knowledge necessary to be able to know what the hell this question is even asking because I don't even know what a coral reef is or what a manatee is or where the Empire State Building is or what a great like there's base knowledge that students don't know that that is increased your vocabulary is increased just by reading more and so I think reading also is a really great thing because <clears throat> it's one of the only activities that you can do that you can only be single-minded, right? It quiets the monkey mind, right? So like in meditation circles, the monkey mind is like, 
it's that it's that ADHD mind. It is thinking about a thousand different things and being distracted by a gazillion things and trying to think of all the stuff that's going on in the day and all the things that you have to do 